You happy? Everybody happy? Okay. David's happy. Praise God. Well, we're going to continue the conversation that we started last Sunday out of Psalms chapter 84. As a holy hush entered the room. But we're not going to be in Psalms 84. We're not. I was real excited about last Sunday's message. I mean, I gave it. Yeah, I'm patting myself on the back. Don't hate. You know, it's just, when you have one, you got to like, just like, you know, give yourself credit now. But um, we started a conversation all about the beauty of God's dwelling place, David's fascination with the temple, the house of God, because of the presence of God. And we're going to continue that conversation this evening. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, though, really disgusting the underpinnings of the early church, okay? The foundations of the early church. And ultimately, my hopes is for us to see how far we've come from Acts chapter 2, relationship and fellowship with one another, amen? Without pressing or placing too much guilt on everybody. And the child said, amen, come on, come on. Somebody's on my side, no. All right, she's not a bother, don't worry about it. She can talk as loud as she wants. She can actually preach if she wants. I'll give her the mic. Okay, Acts chapter 2, is somebody there? Is everybody there? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. But before we read, before I get a little, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, I, I want to talk about my son's swing set. Yeah? I, I, I want to talk about it because really, it's really a manner of, of, of deliverance for me. Uh, just be able to air uh, my opinions about this Swing set that I put together now, probably a year and a half ago. So you can tell there's some really damaged emotions here. But could you bear with me? Okay. About a year and a half ago, my wife came up with the idea to get Abram a swing set. We had just bought a property that had quite a bit of yard to it. And we just didn't think it would be right not to have, you know, Abram some kind of, you know, thing to play on you know, for that big yard. And so, uh, you know, my wheels are turning immediately saying, oh my God, this is going to be a lot of work. You know, because I, my wife just doesn't think small. You know, it's not like I can just, you know, pull off a little slide, a couple swings, and that could be it. You know, I, I got, you know, a little A-frame set up. No, I got to set up the Taj Mahal. Okay, I got to set up something that is, is going to make my neighbors drool. That's just the way my wife is. Now, she's not in competition. She's just big. Everything is big. I love her for that, you know, because my tendency is just to try to keep it as small and as easy as I can. But, you know, I had to set this thing up. We bought, we bought it, and it was, you know, we're talking two-tier clubhouse, um, little rock wall you can climb up to the clubhouse. We're talking this surfboard kind of action that just kind of suspends, and you can just back and forth. I mean, it looks pretty boring to me, but, man, he is just all over it. I mean, what else does it have? Let's see. Um, it has a, like this little telescope thing. You can sit on the eve and just like up on your second story and spy on the neighbors. I mean, it's just really, really, really extravagant and big. But you know the thing that I hate the most when it comes to projects like that is that there's always something that is missing when you're trying to put it together. There's always something. Even though the directions may say everything's included, you got everything you need, how many know that's not the case? It's just never the case. And so, unfortunately, I think there was actually about four times I ran into the problem of not having what I need to put this puppy together. So what do you got to do? You got to improv, right? I have a little construction background. Yeah, I did it, okay? We're seeing the effects of my 
skill work now as they're swinging on it a year and a half old and the whole thing just looks like it's going to topple. But by the grace of God, it will stand and our son won't lose his life. But anyways, I had to improv. No, he's not going to lose his life. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Come back, come back, come back. If you don't know, I'm going to try to make you laugh. I'm going to try to make you smile. Okay, so that's what I'm trying to do right now. Hopefully it's working. <laughs> but anyways, I had to improv. I had to come up, ingenuity. You know, I had to say, okay, I don't have this. What am I going to do? I want to be done with this. I think maybe month. I mean, we're talking a month of construction here. I know, I know, I'm, I'm slow at it, you know. Sometimes I see a project, I'm just like full bore, let's get it done. Other times I'm Mr. Procrastination, but this one, because I was missing pieces, I kind of resulted to some procrastination and, you know, snow started coming down, the kid couldn't even use it. No, just kidding, I, I got it done. But I had to improv. But, it, you know, is it not frustrating when things that you spend money on, you invest in, you have this big project uh, before you, all to find out that it doesn't have the pieces it needs. It's much like the church, isn't it? You know, Paul says what? That every joint supplies, doesn't it? That means I have something to offer to give to the church. You have something to offer to give to the church. And really, we're incomplete without one another, right? And man, I felt like that. I felt like, man, I mean, four times I had to improv. I had to come up with other ways to pull off how to lock this in and how to build this right so he doesn't die. And that's much like the church. Because we're not acting like that body that Paul described, we obviously have to start filling in those voids and improving. You know, so, oh, we don't have this, we don't have that in place, we don't have that person or that singer or that person to serve. And so, Maybe the workload's getting bigger for somebody else more so than it is somebody else. It's just chaos, right? But how many know the design of God is that we be together and we work together as a body works together? Come on. Give me another amen. Just make me feel good about myself. Okay, all right. All right, good. I feel better. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, again, verse 42. We're going to read a couple verses here. Um, and again, we're kind of just going to briefly lay out the foundation, if you would, or the structure of the early church for the sole reason of understanding what we need to come back to. That, that's why I'm doing it. They, you know, you can't help but not just in Acts chapter 2, but in the book of Acts, and quite frankly, all throughout the New Testament, see that we have come so far from the way it once was. I believe God wants to bring it back. I'm not saying that to discourage anybody. I believe God wants to lock us in once again, have us acting again as the uh, early church was acting and doing life. I believe he wants to restore that. But you can't really address the problem if you're always staying oblivious to the fact that there is a problem. Come on. We just want to, you know, I, I just love it. In today's culture in the church, we just want to stay away from the problem hoping it will go away. I don't know about you, that doesn't work in my marriage, it doesn't work in my family, it doesn't work anywhere else in my life. It's almost like, you know, you got a zit growing on your head. You got to pop that thing. You, you, you could probably, you know, maybe tame it with a little bit of hot water, put it on, hoping that maybe when you roll over at night in your pillow, it will pop itself, but it doesn't necessarily happen. 
And in, in, in order to address the problem, you first got to understand that there is a problem. That's right. Yeah. Christian jokes gone wild. I mean, that's as clean as I can get it, folks. I'm not, you know, that went right over your head. Anyways, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and the sharing, sharing excuse me, of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything. Everything. Come on, could you get, just get a vision of that. Get, get a vision of us doing that. Where was I? Everything they had. Verse 45, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple. I know sometimes we like to think that this only happened in kind of like some kind of house setting. And for the most part, it did. But when it starts to grow, the house can no longer hold the family. And so they had to switch it up and start meeting in temples. But they did it together. Each day they did it. They met at homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. <laughs> and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. God help us. So the underpinnings of the church, the early church was this, as I see it. Teaching, simple fellowship, companionship, friendship. The breaking of bread. Again, I'd go with fellowship, but also surrounding the Last Supper. But, and then also we see the emphasis put on prayer, the coming together, right? And look at the result of their unity. Look at the result of their community. What was the result? Well, in my eyes, they lived in a constant state of awe. They lived in a constant state of awe. Why? Because the apostles were just performing miracles. Signs and wonders were happening. And it's funny that Acts chapter 42 comes before Acts chapter 43 and 44. In other words, the oneness is emphasized before the miracles. Come on. Okay, I got a couple of you. Some of you are on your iPhone. I hope you're registering. So as a result, they lived in a constant state of awe. Now that right there should alarm us. I don't think there's many people in the church today, me including, living in that state of awe of the, the majesty of God. Let's just be honest. I mean, sometimes I got to, you know, everything within me just has to, you know, like Sunday, I really go to church or prayer. You know, you just got to, you got to reach deep, you know. But they lived in awe. And a result of that, a result of their devotion, if you would, right? Because they, the Bible says in Acts chapter 42, they devoted themselves to etc., etc. They experienced the power of God. They experienced the power of God. Now, Acts chapter 2, 44 is, for me, just where I want to kind of rest in a little bit as a springboard into the rest of my message. But in Acts chapter 
2.44, and all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. You know, you kind of get the sense that in today's culture, today's church culture, that this would be viewed as a cult. I mean, listen, the the, the, the word is that they had all things in common. I mean, I know that we don't have all things in common. Let me just say that. I love you. I'm sure you love me. But I know if we were really to get together and have some conversations over doctrine, theology, and this and that, we would probably have some heavy disagreement. But here in the book of Acts, we see that they had all things in common. And I'm sure maybe we could dumb, dumb that down to say, well, I'm sure there was, you know, this and that. And sure, as we get later on in the books of Acts, the book of Acts, we see that there were things that they had to work out. But they worked them out. But just, just imagine with me that sense of community. Having all things in common. Sharing everything. Selling, you know, even my positions. I, say I'm rich and I see somebody in need. I, I'm just doing what I can to help provide for the need that this other person has. It's, it's astounding. In, in context to today's church. The demonstration of this kind of unity of spirit that's seen here in the book of Acts, Paul advocates for later in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's turn there briefly. Ephesians chapter 4, three verses. Is everybody all right? Pitch your neighbor and say, you're looking good today. Thank you for coming. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I think this is what I want. Yes, this is what I want. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you. Listen to Paul's words. Listen. Listen, listen, listen. As a prisoner, here Paul is in prison. He's, he's begging, he's pleading with the church of Ephesus to lead a life worthy of the calling. Now let's, let's, just, let's just focus in, to, to live a life worthy of the calling. What is the calling? And why does there seem to be that word worthy that sets the bar really high? You know, he just doesn't say, pursue your calling. He says, listen, live your life Worthy of your calling. What is the calling here? Verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowances for each other's faults because of what? Your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one gracious hope for the future. So, in my summary, if you would, of these these three verses, I see what's needed to really actually live in like an Acts chapter 2 reality or an Acts chapter 2 community. What do we see that's needed? If you missed it, always be humble. Be gentle. Be patient with one another. Now, I know the church is known for many things. I know. Hey, I'm considering myself part of the church, proud to be part of the church. I am pro-church through and through. Pro-church. 
But if there's one thing that's not really truly modeled or exemplified in the church, it's her unity. Paul points to our calling to bear with one another and to maintain our oneness. That's what Ephesians chapter 4, the first three verses says. The only way this can be achieved, this oneness can be achieved, is in a manner, or in a manner, excuse me, that is worthy. Let's just come back to square one. This is to be done in a, a, a meaningful way, a sincere way, if you would. A manner that is worthy. Our oneness, let me say it like this, our oneness, our unity should be a manner that is so above reproach, that is so above accusation or condemnation. It should be, boom, up there. And the only way that we can get to that manner that is worthy is if we are clothed, if we have the attitude of humility, gentleness, and patience. Other than that... Unity is a waste. Our efforts are a waste. They cannot be achieved outside of the borders of humility, of patience and gentleness and the spirit of love. Come on. Why do I say this? Because I think the message in the church of unity is so shallow. So shallow. The best verse we have, Psalms 132, or the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to go there, because I think the Lord's Prayer is beautiful. But I don't think we get the gravity of verse 21 when Jesus prays, let them be one as we are one. Could Wrap your brain around that. Wrap your brain around that type of unity. The Father and Son, Jesus prayed, let them be one as we are one. We have such a trite shallowness when it comes to community and fellowship and brotherhood and unity and oneness and togetherness. God wants to set some things straight. Why? Because he wants it sincere. Listen, there'd be no other reason why he would pray a prayer like that in, in John chapter 17. Based around the glory of God, but also his oneness with God. And his oneness with God uh, causing or making the church to reflect that one and that oneness. Excuse me. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Is everybody all right? Yeah. Now they just slammed the unity movement. <clears throat> just joking. So my conclusion of this, these three verses is that unity is impossible to achieve without the ingredients of humility, without gentleness, and such. And we are encouraged to maintain. You ever seen somebody that don't maintain themselves? I mean, I was like that probably a couple weeks ago. Maybe you saw me like, man, what's wrong with that brother? But I'm looking pretty good today. We got to maintain our unity, guys. What does that mean? We got we to gotta fight for it, maybe. You know, you got, when you maintain yourself, girls, you got to get in front of that mirror. You got to straighten it out. You know, you got to put, my wife does it. She's like multitasking while we're driving. I'm like, honey, we're going to die. She's like, I got to maintain myself. I'm like, okay, babe, just help us, please. You know, I love my son. I love you. I want to have a long life. I don't want, but she's in the, you know, tilting the mirror this way, knee on the wheel, you know, trying to do it up. 
But you, too, you get that image, right? Maintaining. What does that mean? we got to work for it. we got to do something. It just does not happen casually or in a vacuum. It happens by us being visual and so... Uh, visual. Visual and sober and actually working at maintaining. i got to work with it in my marriage. i got to work at maintaining our oneness, our togetherness. It's not easy. Some of you can't wait for marriage. Let me tell you, wait. Okay? It, I, hear me now. I'm, not, like, I, I'm, I'm pro-marriage. I am pro-marriage. But don't rush it, brother, because, or sister, because the biggest thing it's going to do in you is a work in you. It's, you know, all the other things are just benefits. I could go there, too. I'm, I'm almost ready. It's on the tip of my tongue. The benefits of marriage, but I won't. So in Acts chapter 2, 44 and 45, what? We get a snapshot, if you would, of, of, of this kind of unity in action. Right? Do we not? We have a snapshot, really, of what Paul was expressing in Ephesians chapter 4. I made a statement last Sunday, probably none of you care, but I do. Uh, <laughs> how we live in a culture where independence is celebrated, it should be celebrated, but I'm not talking necessarily about our independence from tyranny. <laughs> I'm talking about that spirit of independence where we refuse to be in relationship, we refuse to be in accountability, we were just, we're an island unto ourselves. And I also talked about how we live in a culture of consumerism where we're just looking to get, 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 what can we get, what we can put our money to, and we, we miss the, the, the New Testament reality of church, if you would. I hate that word reality, but I'm going to use it. So we miss that in some of these things that we've been kind of forced to accept as a way of life, what we see on the television, what we see in relationships. And God has never, ever explicitly it's clear that these things, these actions, these characteristics are foreign to New Testament church. They're foreign. You know, just, just imagine people, you know, uh, the great cloud of witnesses peering out over the church and be like, oh my God, what is happening? They're foreign. You know, instead of giving, we want to see what we can get. Instead of investing, I'm not just talking about your money. But instead of investing into relationships, we kind of isolate. I love this, you know, this one guy, and I'm not going to say his name. It's on the tip of my tongue, but I'm not going to do that. No, I'm just joking. But anyways, there's this one guy. And everything you ask him, i got to pray about it, brother. Bro, I was wondering if you want to come to prayer and pray with me. i got to pray about that. <laughs> Bro, I was wondering if you want to come and speak at this conference. i got to pray about that. But it, it, it kind of... Since when do we pray about being in a prayer set? Since when do we need to pray about serving? Since when do we have to pray about if God wants us to be in community? There's such an attitude in the church today... Especially, I'm just going to go there in the charismatic church, of this independency, 
that's just like I'm an island unto myself and the Lord is just going to speak to me as he will. As he will. I, I'm going to pray about it. When in reality, God has called us to community. Why? Because I have things to give you that you don't possess yourself. You have things to give me that I don't possess myself. That's another beauty. And an el- the first family that was ever made was made by God. Think about it. I'm not talking about Adam and Eve. The first community ever developed was amongst the Godhead. It expresses the value of it. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is pro-community. I don't know where I was going with that, but... I raise my voice at times. I'm a happy guy. I'm going to put this disclosure in here. I have a wife who's beautiful, a child who's cool, probably cooler than yours, but um, no, I'm just joking. Much cooler than me eh, when I was a child. Um, but no, I'm a happy guy. I just like raising my voice. I get excited about things. I know that that can be foreign in Cambridge. So what do we see in Acts? I see generosity. I see compassion. I see selflessness. I see unity. I see community, family, love, the giving of finances, the selling of possessions, only to share according to the needs of others. This is the core, if you would, the nucleus, if you would, of the early church. And I say, what better example to follow? What better example to follow? But you see, it seemed like this type of behavior was unto something. It wasn't just, it was unto something. Let's turn briefly to, um, oh, no, I'm not going to go there. That would, be, that would be too harsh. Let's turn to John chapter 17. Actually, turn real quick. Maybe I'm going to go there. Luke chapter 12. Before we go to John, uh, Luke, uh, John chapter 17. Luke chapter 12. The gospel of Luke. How many are still sporting paperback Bibles? Come on, I hear those pages turning. How many don't have a Bible at all? John raised his head. What? what? Aren't you like doing like some crusade, boy? You're getting that, that Bible. Stop carrying the flag. Carry the word. No, just joking. Uh, I had to. I had to. It's like it's an open door. I know, I know. I had to. And you know, when you give a guy like me an open door, you just got to walk through it. No, just, just joking. I, I love you. So there's love there. I could say anything to him. He probably doesn't feel the same way about me because I'd kill him if he said anything like that. No, just <laughs> it's good to have fun and laugh in church, isn't it? Especially at the expense of others. No. <laughs> I love you, John. Love what you're doing. Oh, Lord. 1251. Just got to make sure that this is the right direction here. All right, I'm going to just put this disclosure in here. This could be a a total train wreck right now. All right, I'm just saying that right now. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm going to set myself up for just failure. I'm hoping it's going to go good. But we're going to have to back this tape up if it doesn't 
edit some things. Make me look good, please. <laughs> Acts chapter 12, 51. As you can see, I'm stalling. What is going on? No, we're not going to go there. Because uh, I'm obviously don't have... Oh, I'm in John. There's something about the name John that just happened there. Uh, I'm not being prophetic. I'm being funny. There's Luke. <laughs> 51. Do you think I've come to bring peace to the earth? No, I have come to divide people against each other. Why do I bring this into play? You know, obviously from Scripture, the Old Testament spoke of Christ as what? The Prince of Peace, Isaiah. The gospel itself is hailed as what? The gospel of peace. So we know what Jesus is saying right there is a bit mysterious, isn't it? It's a bit contrary. We know that Jesus doesn't come to bring discord. We know that he's the Prince of Peace. So why, Jesus, why would you say that? We need to know, I think, that and understand that Jesus wouldn't directly be speaking, or this particular verse wouldn't be directly speaking to the intentions of Jesus that he actually came to bring discord, but rather it would speak to the weakness of man, the vulnerability of our flesh, to chaos and division. No other words, in no other words, unity can be achieved apart from Christ. And so what is the essence? Because you're probably just like, what is he saying? And, and, and I'll be honest, a little bit in me, I'm also saying, what is he saying? Because in light of preaching a unity message, this probably ain't the best passage to exert. <laughs> Seeing Christ say those words. I have not come to bring peace. Other translations, I have not come to bring unity, but division. What does it mean? Well, essentially what it means is no unity is possible if Christ is not in the center of the unity. In other words, we can't succumb to false doctrines. We can't water down the word or the message of Christ for the sake of unity. You see it all over, especially in Cambridge. It's pretty prevailing where you have these rainbow flags in the church. You know, what is that? That's the church forgoing truth for the sake of unity. We can't do that. In other words, again, unity is not achieved apart from Christ. And it's funny, when it comes to our unity, and it comes to who Christ is, it starts to get really sticky. You're tracking with me. Because sometimes, if not all the time, we have these unity crusaders who are willing to marginalize and dumb down the word of God for the sake of unity. It can't happen. You can do it. But really, the sincerity of an Acts chapter 2 community is lost because Jesus must be. It can only be the center, the core of all unity. Now turn with me to John chapter 17. The Lord's priestly prayer, right? 
Now again, if you could put that verse back up, just so I can, I can track with it. You're in the uh, New Living Translation? Are you in the New Living Translation? Yeah, okay. If you could put it back up. Just got one more thing to add to that. What's that? Oh, um, Luke chapter 12, 51. Yep, just so we can see it, so I can see it. Is this all right? Everybody all right? Okay, because we're going to do one more thing. Because we're going to define really what kind of division the Lord is talking about here. There's another translation, I believe. Um, it's the original translation or maybe the New King James translation. I'm not quite sure. Well, actually, Matthew 34.10. That's what, it, that's what I'm looking for. Matthew 34.10. Sorry, guys. We're just tracking, right? We're good. It's Sunday. We're, we're going to come to a close, too. I know I'm not going to keep you... Matthew 34.10. 24.10. Sorry. Get your scrippers right. No, it's not. Anyways, in Matthew, the translation of Matthew actually said that Christ had come to bring a sword. Many scholars believe that sword to be the word of God. Essentially, if our unity is not based around the word of God, this sword of the spirit, right? Then it's unachievable. Sorry about butchering that. I told you it could be a train wreck, but let's pick back up in John chapter 17. In essence, the simplicity of what I'm saying is unity can only be achieved if Christ is the center. We can't forgo the truth just for the sake of being one. It doesn't happen, especially in the eyes of God. Let's read verses 21, the Lord's Prayer here. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. Let's just let that seep into our thoughts. Let's ponder the oneness of God the Father and Jesus the Son. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you have given me. In other words, the glory that Jesus is referencing here is not some kind of, you know, mystical thing. It's the glory of his oneness with the Father. Jesus did what? He reconciled us to God. He made us one with God. And so when Jesus says, I have given them the glory, I have given them the same, the, the availability or the, uh, the possibility of actually being one with you and me as we are one. May they experience, I'm sorry, verse 22, I have given them the glory you've given me so that they will be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience what? Such perfect unity. The only way that we could ever measure perfect unity is in correlation, if that's the right word, of the relationship of Jesus the Son and God the Father. Let's turn to, to John, uh, the, uh, John chapter 1, and just get a, a, a foretaste of this, of this unity. In the beginning, the word already existed. Or other words, in the beginning, Jesus already ex- existed. Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. Now we're looking
speaking that in context of their unity here. Okay, this, this, is, this is so vast in its language. And we can pull out and abstract so much meaning just in these first three verses. But we're looking and we're focusing in on Jesus' oneness with the Father, right? And the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. That sounds like a team to me. And nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. So we see, we get a snapshot, if you would, of the Father and the Son's unity, and we understand just a little bit of what it means when Christ says, let them be one as we are one. I mean, put that in the unity message. We don't just need to be shallow and trite in our approach to community and relationship with one another. We really understand here that Jesus has a desire, a a yearning to make us one. And our example is the oneness that he shares with the Father that he expresses here, he brought us into. Now, we can say this is salvation, of course, yes, absolutely. But this goes just a little bit further than salvation. Why? Because this unity is unto something according to Jesus. Now, think about it. What what was the unity? I hate that word, but I got to use it. What was the oneness? I don't hate the word. It's overly used is what I'm saying. And so I got a little irritated. But anyways, but what was the oneness of, of the community in Acts chapter 2? What did it result in? What, what came about? What, what did they experience as a result of their community and their fellowship with one another? They, they, they experienced the power of God. Signs, wonders, and miracles. And what does Jesus say that he hopes that our unity and our oneness results in? That the world might know. That they might believe in accordance to their unity. In accordance to their oneness. You know, us in the charismatic, we base so much of God's power on things I think that have nothing to do with what really, truly releases God's power. And I'm just as guilty as it is the next. I'm saying that because it's my own experience. But what if God's power rested solely upon our oneness? What if it wasn't as mysterious as we think it is when we look at the books of... I mean, the only way to conclude when you read the book of Acts is either that you would become a sensationist, just believing that God's power no longer exists, or that there has to be some kind of other you know, doctrine or theology or, or, or argument built on why God's power is not prevalent in the church. I'm sorry, we are not seeing the dead rise. We have a lot of people making videos, lofty things. We don't see the book of Acts, but we want to. I say keep making the videos. But just what if we, we retrained our minds to thinking that our 
oneness was really the issue that God was after. And I'm not just talking about some plastic veneer oneness. I'm not talking about just some empty, shallow, insincere oneness. I am talking about us being one as God the Father and Jesus the Son is one. Come on. I'm just as guilty of it as the next. You're having your friends, oh, your community, and you're talking, and you know, I'm like, Will, man, I love you, bro. And then maybe, you know, I'm like, yeah, I know, Will can't sing. I know. It's terrible. I can't even believe I'd do that. You know what I'm talking about. Or, man, I can't believe Daryl dropped John 17 like that. No, Matthew 34:10. There's not even a Matthew 34:10, but John 3:24:10. We know those. Backdoor conversations. Just as guilty as it's in the next. Did you see what sister so-and-so was wearing? (laughs) Too much. Too much. Cover it up. You understand. But you know what? We may not be hearing those conversations. You know, the beautiful beautiful thing, one of the beautiful things that I find about Christ is that he always knew people's intentions without them speaking a word. It's possible to do that, friend. It's possible to shake somebody's hand and you just feel, oh, yeah, they don't like me. (laughs) But we're people that we, we need community. We need to maintain our oneness. Instead of Backbiting, instead of talking behind backs, ministry against ministry, theology against theology, we need not to have anything to do with that. Is this too simple? In my estimation, this is the only way that we can achieve togetherness, oneness, or unity. This is the only way. And our measuring line just happens to be because of the priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think, this is our measuring line. This is the manner that is worthy. That that line that just, it can't be surface. It can't be, you know, how you doing? I don't like that guy. I'm not talking about you, but you know what I'm saying. Our measuring line is the relationship that Christ had with the Father. Put that in your unity message. Why? Because that actually gives us the conviction. It's no longer, oh, yes, how blessing, how blessed we are when brother in unity dwell, whatever that scripture verse is. You know what I'm saying. I love that scripture verse. The, the thing I don't like about it, it's, it's used in such an insincere way. From insincere lips, me including. I have to understand that if Jesus made it a manner of prayer in John chapter 17, he could have prayed for anything. Let the church be a light, although he said that. Let the church do this or do that. No, he said, Father, let them be one. That emphasizes the heart of Christ. 
it, it, it emphasizes Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. The manner that is worthy of the calling of God. Now again, the only way, the only way. You think about it. Jesus had the most jacked crew on the face of the earth. One guy betrayed him. This is how important his oneness is with the Father. One guy betrayed him. One guy denied him. You know, it's just a mess. We know the story, right? His crew is jacked up. But the, the biggest place of anguish in Christ's heart is white. When he became or felt that the Father had left him. Father, why have you forsaken me? He didn't get bent out of shape about the one that the scriptures foretold would betray him as the will of God. He didn't get, you didn't see him really get bent out of shape about Peter who, who was called to be a rock but couldn't even confess Christ between a young girl, before a young girl, excuse me. He handled that pretty well all through scripture and his beatings and his sufferings. He, uh, I think it's best portrayed in the passion of Christ. Beatings never opened his mouth, never sought to uh, um, defend himself. But in that one moment, you see, so awesomely portrayed, if I could say it that way. It's probably a little bit preschool, but let's roll with it. The only place that Christ, you feel his anguish, is when he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? That's how important that oneness meant to Christ. That in that very instance, that could set it off for him and say, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Why have you forsaken me? Why do I say that? Because it portrays what we should go after. It portrays what we should uphold in our relationships with one another. It matters. Our relationships matter. Community matters. God, Jesus, is pro-church. So if I was to summarize my thoughts in one sentence about what I'm discussing is that our unity should be measured. It should be lived out according to the prayer of Christ in John chapter 17, 21. The desire that he had for our oneness, the desire that he had for our unity, the desire that he shared with the Father, he welcomes us in. With him, yes, but with one another. The result of unity acts wonders, miracles, the power of God manifested on many times and occasions throughout the New Testament. It's funny that you can rarely see the message of God's power manifested in Scripture without it not being connected that with the words like they were together or they were of one mind or they were of one accord or they were in unity with one another. A love for the church and a love for one another. You can't have love 
for their church if you don't have love for your brother and sister? Can I go as far to even say that you can't have love for God if you don't have love for your brother and sister? This is too simple. We need this. God wants to do something great amongst his people, and that is going to take us working to maintain our oneness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, though, it's not necessarily always released with clarity or power, Lord, but we get it. God, we have read your scripture. God, we see your heart for unity in the body of Christ. And Lord, my desire today is that Hilltop Church would become so sincere in their pursuit of walking in true unity with one another. Lord, that we could see that commanded blessing, that, that place, Lord, where you command your blessing upon your people, God, because of the result of our oneness, as the result of our oneness. And so, God, I ask, Lord, help us, Lord, to see truth, help us to grow in truth and as a family with one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Listen, I wanna encourage you, if you haven't already, don't procrastinate with the dinner, register. Um, you know, we're kind of still in our beginning stages. Of a, we're really a young church. And we're hoping to 